on TV, online and on your smartphone. This is Ticker News. Hi there, folks. US, Australia, India and Japan, a group known as the Quad, and they keep pledging to keep stability in the Indo-Pacific region. If you read between the lines, what they're actually saying is we're trying to keep China down. So how are they going about this? I'm Aaron Young. Let's get started. Now from our headquarters at Ticker Park, this is Ticker Today. Okay, so the Quad is seeking to oppose unilateral actions, seeking change in status quo by force. That's what they say. What does it mean? It's a stronger sign yet that the leaders of some of the largest democracies in the region standing up against China's growing coercion. Here's Australia's former Foreign Minister Alexander Downer speaking about this. China just needs to understand that it doesn't have free reign in the Indo-Pacific region to change the status quo through the use of force. Um, and the, the Indo-Pacific needs to be a zone of peace, uh, uh, an area of peaceful coexistence and, um, and, and common um, experience. Well, so who was that man? He's a man who left politics back in the 1990s. He was the foreign minister right throughout John Howard's reign as prime minister. And what he once said recently is that back then the US had no interest in the Pacific, they very much saw it as Australia's problem. As for the current Quad leaders, well, they're being quite careful. In fact, actually, they aren't mentioning China by name. The superpower, clearly the target of the language. As for China, though, as well, they're slamming the Quad as an Asian version of NATO. Stop diplomats say it's all part of a plan ganging up in the Asia-Pacific region, creating clicks and bent on provoking confrontation. Let's try and get a bit more on this and unpack now with John uh, Schaus, who's from the Centre of Strategic and International Studies. John, great to have you here at Ticker. Thanks for having me, Aaron. All right. So why does the US steer clear of placing troops on the ground in Ukraine, but actually has made a commitment to defending Taiwan, do you think? That's a really good question. I think a key factor there for the United States is that Ukraine is not a NATO ally. And so the United States is being very cautious about committing to defending countries that aren't its allies. Taiwan sits in a special place in terms of its legal status in the United States, because under a 1970s law called the Taiwan Relations Act, the United States is obligated to provide Taiwan with what it needs to defend itself so that China can't forcibly uh, change the status quo there. President Biden has been careful not to say he will commit troops to Taiwan, but that he will be that he he will commit the United States to defending and supporting Taiwan if it has to. Yeah, he's leaving it pretty open and U.S. presidents have done so uh, for quite a while. But Biden seems to be going further than most other U.S. presidents, right? He has. And. Most other presidents are very ambiguous when they talk about what the United States would do uh, in a conflict in or over Taiwan. President Biden has said three times now that the United States would defend Taiwan. And so he's, he's leaving open exactly what that means, but he's being much more uh, forward-leaning in that articulation than his predecessors have been. How strong is the Quad? Because President Biden obviously choosing to head back to the United States to deal with the debt limit and meeting with those Republicans in somewhat of an emergency. It's left a, a lot of commentators questioning the importance of the Quad as the US president steps out. It didn't seem to go ahead. It had to, to head to Japan as part of the G7 as well. What does that say? Or are we reading too much into it? I think the optics are bad. Uh, 
missing the uh, having to reschedule the quad meeting to be alongside the G7 rather than separately in Australia as originally uh, targeted that that's not a great optic. But I think if we look at the substance that the quad uh, at the leaders level and and underneath is achieving, we're actually seeing a great deal of activity and momentum. And one could actually see this as a positive sign that the quad is doing so well that it can survive a, a last minute shuffle like this better than other uh, organizations or other groupings like the G7 probably could. Well, we watched the G7, speaking of which, and they're all there. You've got the British Prime Minister, the Canadian Prime Minister, the US President, Japan's there, of course. Is it becoming the event, though, that is excluding another group, which, of course, is becoming BRICS, which is Russia, China, and you know some of the others as well? Uh, do you think that the world is dividing with the G7 and the Quad on one side and Russia and China gathering everyone they can on the other? I think it's a little more complicated than that, where I think we saw Prime Minister Kishida of Japan inviting a number of non-G7 national leaders to, to observe the G7 meeting. And we saw South Korea's president, we saw Australia, we saw India there, ostensibly India also a member of the BRICS. So I think we, we're seeing a, a little bit more uh, nuance in that diplomatic arena than, than a simple uh, dividing of camps or the Chinese favorite term clicks. I think it's, we'll see a more dynamic environment than that. India is a really interesting one. It seems to be playing both sides in a way, failing to condemn the war in Ukraine. Uh, it obviously buys a lot of weapons from Russia uh, and has done for quite some time. Why is its position on China so different to what the Russians are doing in Ukraine, do you think? I think a key difference for India is the, the trade elements you highlighted on military sales, but also on energy and on food, where India imports a great deal of food from both uh, food and energy from Russia. Um, India's view of China, though, I think, and I heard this loud and clear in some conversations I held in Canberra several months ago with Indian colleagues. Uh, India and China have fought several battles, um, skirmishes, battles along its northern the the border between India and China in the last three years. And so India along, sees China as not at all. They are actively fighting off and on. Right now it's a peace peaceful moment, but it could change anytime. And China doesn't exactly have great relations with uh, many of its neighbors either, one being Australia, uh, which is a really interesting point because they've tried a trade uh, embargo on things like red wine, not the things they actually need, of course, but the things that are seen a bit more as luxury products. They started to backtrack on that. We've even seen the Chinese inviting the Australian Prime Minister to visit Beijing. That's something that did not happen under the last Australian government uh, led by Scott Morrison. Bit of a thawing out. Australia sometimes unfairly might be called the junior sheriff to the United States in the Asia-Pacific region as well, which isn't the place you want to be. Where do you see Australia fitting into the US plans in trying to keep a peaceful Asia-Pacific? That is a very good question. I would say what's more important is how Australia sees itself playing into Australia's vision for what the Indo-Pacific should look like. And one of the strengths I would say between the in the US-Australia alliance is that we can have those conversations as equals. The US has a bigger economy, we have a lot more people, but that doesn't 
create a power dynamic in the relationship. We're partners. And I think in conversations with Australian uh, military officers, defense officials, diplomats, and their U.S. counterparts, that rings through time and again. Australia is never going to get pushed around, not even by the United States. And as you highlighted, I think Australia's uh, ability to push back against China's attempted economic coercion is actually a textbook case of what a country can do to stand up for itself and fend those problems off. And just quickly, though, one thing the US and Australia do have in common when it comes to China, both so reliant economically, Australia's entire budget, which has blown out to billions of dollars in debt, is so reliant on exports that are bought by China. Essentially, Queensland Coal has kept the budget in the black for the first time in some time, something that they're trying to get rid of, I might add, being coal. But what are your views when it comes to economies being reliant on China at a time when you've got the Quad meeting and trying to contain China? So the G7 statement that came out yesterday uh, has a very interesting segment where it specifically calls out China by name uh, as a country that all members of the G7 are trying to engage with and, and have good relations with. But China has to live up to its um, commitments and it has to abide by the same rules that other countries are following. And until it does that, things are going to be scratchy is what this statement says. And I think within the Quad, uh, and that's, that's the key point, is it? it comes down and to even where more. we're at with China, right? And that uh, is the point that they've got to, I guess, come to the party on that as well. John, we'll take a break uh, for now and, of course, be back with more discussing this very issue right after this. 